Well, we welcome you to Edge Church today. Thank you so much for joining us. Have you ever had a time in your life where you had a great breakthrough? Maybe you prayed about something for a while and everything that you had prayed about began to come to fruition. Maybe you started a company or, or, or maybe you had a crisis that you were working through and then all of a sudden it was like God showed up and everything was great. But then one day the breakthrough broke down. And you wondered, wait a second, I thought this was the answer to my prayers. I I thought this was exactly where God was leading me. And maybe it threw you for a loop and it confused you and it sent you down a path that you did not expect. Uh, Maybe you uh, had cancer and and you prayed about it and, and you got better. And then you thought you'd had the breakthrough, but then you found out from the doctor a few years later that the cancer was back. And the breakthrough broke down. Today, I want to look at this powerful topic. What do we do when the breakthrough breaks down? If you look throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us multiple examples of people that experienced a breakthrough and then a breakdown. I'm thinking about the disciples who were spending three years with Jesus. I mean, they're getting mentored and taught by the very Son of God. Everything is amazing. Jesus is doing miracles. People's lives are being transformed. People are being healed. I mean, it's, it's incredible. There's a breakthrough, but one day the breakthrough broke down when Jesus was arrested, and then he was crucified. And the disciples are wondering, how could the Son of God be arrested? How could he die? How could he leave us here All alone, the breakthrough broke down. The children of Israel felt that way in the book of Exodus. uh, They were delivered from Egyptian captivity. The Red Sea parted. Moses showed up. After 400-something years of oppression, they have been delivered. But the breakthrough broke down. Now they're in the desert. They don't have water. They don't have food. They don't have what they need. And they want to go back to Egypt. God, where are you? We had a breakthrough. But now the breakthrough broke down. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a woman. She's called the Shunammite woman. We don't know her exact name, but she's a great woman of faith. And she has a breakthrough, but the breakthrough breaks down. 2 Kings 4 details it for us. This woman uh, is a wealthy woman. Her and her husband have no children. They decide to kind of take the prophet Elisha into their home and to feed him and to host him as he traveled around the biblical world pursuing his prophetic ministry. They loved Elijah so much, Elisha so much, that they actually built a room on their house for the prophet to be able to stay in their home uh, whenever he needed. And so Elisha's loving this, this wonderful couple of faith. And one day he's talking to Gehazi, his attendant, and he says, you know, man, we need to do something really nice, really thoughtful for the Shunammite woman because after all, she's been taking care of us. And uh, what a great couple. And the attendant says, you know what, they don't have any children. And so Elisha says, you know what, get ready, because very, very soon you're going to have a child. Now this woman had been barren. She didn't have any children before. Um, Her husband is probably older, 
And she has prayed and prayed and prayed to have a child. And now the prophet Elijah tells her, hey man, your dream is going to become a reality. And this woman has a breakthrough. And just like Elisha told her, she has a child. But as you, as you read the pages of 2 Kings chapter 4, one day, unexpectedly, the breakthrough breaks down. This boy, this child of promise, this, this, this young man who brought so much promise and so much joy and happiness to his mom and dad, dies unexpectedly. He's a young man. And uh, the father brings the boy to his mom. He's probably had some type of a heat exhaustion because he's working in the field with his father. And there the boy dies in the, the arms of his mother. And without delay, the mom gets up and begins to find, to go after the prophet Elisha. And I want you to see three principles today, and I hope you'll write these down, because I know that in your own life, whenever there is a breakthrough, inevitably, we will experience a breakdown. But here's the good news. The breakdown does not have to have the final word over our lives. And let's look today at 2 Kings chapter 4 as we look at what to do when the breakthrough breaks down. Now, the first thing that I want us to observe is, is found right there in verse 22, stay in pursuit. What does the mom do? Well, she finds the prophet. She goes after him. Look at it there. Chapter 4, verse 22. She summons her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of my donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and come back again. But he said, why go to him today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. And she replied, it's all right. And then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, go fast, don't slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. That's the home of the prophet. She finds him. But I want you to see a couple of things here because this woman stays in pursuit. You see, anytime there is a breakthrough that breaks down, we have an opportunity to quit and to have a funeral and to be satisfied with where we're at, or we can make another decision, and that is to turn to God and to see what God has to say to us. And this woman is determined. I mean, man, is she determined? I mean, wow. Because just because it's dead doesn't mean that it's gone. Uh, in other words, uh, it's, it's, it's not... Uh, over until God says that it's over. Now, I want you to see the contrast here between the, the wife and the husband. Maybe you've had a conversation like this with your spouse if you're married. The, the wife immediately turns to God. She's like, I'm going to go find the prophet. And the husband's response is something that is unexpected. He literally asks his wife, why in the world do you need Elisha? What, what is Elisha going to do for it? It's not the Sabbath. That's the day of worship. It's not the new moon. Uh, he's talking about religious festivals and Judaism. And so if it's not the day of worship, the Sabbath, and if it's not the new moon celebration, the, the, the special ho Jewish holiday, why would we need the prophet? Like It's like, duh, your son just died Maybe you might want to talk to the man of God that made sure that you had the boy in the first place. 
And the wife is so funny. She doesn't even try to explain to her husband why she's going to fetch Elisha. She just goes and does it. She, she is in such a hurry to find an answer and a resolution to this problem that she doesn't even have time for her ornery husband. You, you have to wonder if her husband is even a believer. I mean, do you even know God? And I want you to know today, listen, when you're going through hardships in your life, being a Christian, being a person of faith is not just about being religious. God wants to intersect your life every single day. God can move in your heart on days other than Sunday. God can do things amazingly in your life on other days of the calendar other than Easter and Christmas. God is amazing. And listen, the, the, the woman understood that Elisha was not limited by certain days of the calendar. And she's like, I need a word from God. I'm going to pursue the prophet. I'm going to find a solution. And she tenaciously travels 16 miles each way to Mount Carmel to find an answer to this great problem. She doesn't explain it. She doesn't think about it. She moves on it. And she does it. And she's focused like crazy. You can waste your time trying to explain yourself to everybody else. But listen, when you have a problem, you need to run to God. You need God. And the woman knows that she needs a word from God. And she needs a word from God very, very badly. She could have quit. She could have said, let's bury the body. Obviously, that's what the father was implying. Let's just have the funeral. We can't do anything about it. But mama is not satisfied. There's nothing more uh, that she needed to light her fire than the death of this son. And man, she brings a great urgency to this situation. Every time we have a setback, we can plan the funeral or we can expect the miracle. And this woman begins to expect the miracle. She just says, you know what? I just don't think God is done yet. This was the child of promise. The story is not over. And she goes and she finds the man of God. Now, under the old covenant, they ran to the prophet. But under the new covenant, we get to run to Jesus. That's who we should run to. And man, I want to encourage you today. If the breakthrough is breaking down, run to Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. You need Jesus. And we run to him in prayer. We run to him in studying his word. But you know, as we're praying to God and we're running to God in prayer, we do so by surrendering ourselves to him. God, what do you want for my life? God, what do you need from me? God, what are you asking me to do? There's, a, there's that prayer of surrender. It's not one of making demands or, or, or giving God ultimatums. Um, we, we pray persistently. Um, we don't just pray one time. In fact, if you look at the story as it unfolds, even Elisha, when he gets to the boy, has to continue to pray. The best things in your life, the greatest breakthroughs will come through prayer. Pursue it. Find God. You got a question. You got a problem. You have an issue. Run to him. Don't run to somebody. Run to the greatest one of all, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's God and through his son, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, 
It, it speaks of the life of faith. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, Don't you know that the runners in a situation are in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air, verse 27. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after uh, preaching to others, I myself might not be qualified. Paul says, listen, you got to run the race of faith and you got to stay in pursuit when there's a breakdown, you pursue God. You run after God. You go after the Lord. Don't, don't you quit? Don't you get satisfied? Don't you begin to believe the voice of the devil that says, listen, it's all over. You can't do anything about it anyway. Pursue it. What do we do when the breakthrough breaks down? We pursue it. We go after God. We do a second thing, though. We stay in faith. We stay in pursuit, but we stay in faith. We keep believing God. Now, when Elisha gets, or the woman gets to Elisha, she falls at his feet, and notice the response of the man of God. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she clung to his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in severe anguish, and the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't told me. And then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, do not lie to me? Now, I love this part because Gehazi is the attendant of, of Elisha. And, and he's, he's kind of a punk. When you read the, the rest of the story of, of Gehazi, he, he actually is a stingy guy that tries to steal some money and dies of leprosy. But you kind of see some, some little hints about his character in chapter 4. Um, earlier in his life, this woman is devastated. I mean, she's traveled all this way. Um, you know, she couldn't get a hold of, of Elisha the prophet by voicemail or, or, or by FaceTime. Or she couldn't send a, uh, uh, a, little, a little message to him, digitally speaking. She couldn't use one of the, the apps that, that everybody uses today. She had to go find the guy. And so she travels, and the look on her face had to be one of great consternation because, because Elisha's picking up on it. Man, something bad happened. I mean, if this woman came to me looking like that, something bad happened. But Gehazi's like, um, ma'am, do you have an appointment? Um, ma'am, uh, uh, did, 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 did Elisha, the prophet, um, is, is he expecting you today? And, and Elisha, being so much more spiritually in tune, recognizes the need, and he begins to minister to this woman. But notice what he says. He says, God hasn't told me. God has hidden it from me in verse 27. And, and he goes, he starts to travel back to the home with the woman, but he also tells her, I don't know exactly what we need to do. Now, here's where I want you to see this concept of moving in faith. You can move in faith even when you don't know exactly what God is doing. You can move in faith when you don't have all of the peculiar answers. You can move in faith when you don't know exactly what to say or how to respond. There's times when I get... Uh, 
called on the phone and people have a crisis and a problem. And I mean, you know, sometimes people have big problems. And sometimes I'll say to myself, Ryan, you don't even know what to say to a person that's going through that. I've been to the hospital with people before, with families. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it's not what you say. Sometimes it's just your being there. And I love Elijah the prophet because he had a heart for people. And his faith in God allowed him to have great compassion upon others. So he begins to travel as quickly as possible back to the home of the woman not knowing exactly what to do. Have you ever been in a situation before and you're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know how to respond. I think this is the prophet just because he's a man of God and just because he performs miracles and just because he's an amazing man of faith doesn't mean that he knows everything to do. Elisha is not Jesus. So he's like, man, I don't know what to do, but let's go check it out. I'll stand with you. I'll do everything I can do. I can pray. I can believe. I can ask. I can see. Let's, let's check it out. So they start heading back. And he tells Gehazi, the servant, take my staff and place it on the face of the boy. And I think Elisha's hoping that the boy will be resurrected. Hey, this will be easy. You know, we want to get to him as quick as possible. So Gehazi is a little more nimble. He's a little younger. Gehazi, you're the sprinter. Take off to the house and see what you can do with that old stick. But Elisha discovers later that uh, that, that, that concept is, is nil and void. That uh, the staff is not able to do what he had hoped. And so Elisha is just still wondering, God, what do you want me to do? I love Pastor Jensen Franklin. He has a great quote in one of his books. He says this, you will never be more than 80% sure about anything that God wants you to do. I mean, the person that is absolute, unless, listen, unless an angel shows up in your living room tomorrow and gives you a, an edict from God, you don't know what to do. You're not 100% sure of what decision that you need to make. I, would, I think if you got 80% certain about whatever that God wants you to do, I think you've done pretty darn well. But there's many times in our Christian faith and in our spiritual experience that we are doing the best that we can. We're moving in faith. We're doing what we think God wants us to do, but we're not absolutely certain and, and Elisha personifies this for us, and he, 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 he begins to move. Um, listen, if you have to analyze every single nuance, if you have to have an answer to every single aspect of what God wants you to do before you move, you will have analysis paralysis, and you will never move in faith. Moving in faith is not having all the answers. Moving in faith is doing what God is leading you to do in that moment, and it's putting it together the best that you can. So let me bring some comfort to you today. You're not unusual if you're not absolutely certain as to what God wants you to do, but you can still live in faith because faith requires us to trust God. And as you're moving and as you're making decisions and choices over your life, you're doing so believing that God is going to lead you and direct you. So this is the hope of Elisha. I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm going anyway, is what he says. And so we believe. We have faith. There are times 
that it is not about the answers. It's about the support and the love. And Elisha teaches us exactly that. I want you to see the powerful video testimony of a couple in our church who is moved in great faith when the breakthrough broke down. Well, we were married for a few years, about two, when we decided to start trying to have a family and um, went through a lot of infertility treatments and lots of doctors and appointments and realized that we were not going to be able to have children naturally. And so we started the adoption process um, and we're about nine months into the adoption process when um, a family friend got us in touch with an expect expectant mother. We met with her on a, on a day in January. She told us that she wanted to uh, have us adopt her baby. We were just overjoyed that years and years of praying had finally resulted in what we wanted to, which was to always be parents. I remember Amanda went to her uh, first ultrasound, found out that she was having a baby girl. Mm -hmm. And at that Actually, point... Part of that, that doctor's appointment was really emotional, thinking like, this could be our baby. You know, and meeting with, with doctors and seeing how far along she was, and it, it seemed very real. Amanda said that um, she came home from that appointment and she said, I'm just really nervous that we're not, this is not our baby. And I asked her why and she said the look when she saw her, her baby for the first time was just one of a mother's love. She was not going to make an adoption plan at that point. She just, you just felt that in your heart. The letdown that we had when she came back a week later and said, no, I'm going to keep the baby um, was unlike anything we'd ever really experienced. It was one thing when we found out that we couldn't have kids naturally. Then to be told no again, I mean, there's no words that can really describe that hurt. We had, we had started that, that journey to being parents at that point and thought that this was our future. And um, we, um, we were ready. We were so ready. And I think at that point, you know, God was preparing us for something big. We just didn't know what it was yet, and it was hard to see that big picture. Um, I kept telling Amanda through our process, because she, she would ask me a lot, are we meant to be parents? And I said, I don't think that God would put it on our hearts so much that we want to be if we weren't meant to be parents. I think that God would take that away from us. He would ease that pain. Um, and at that time, we just had to know that God was using us for a bigger purpose. Our story wasn't done, and He wasn't done working in our lives as long as we had faith in Him. We waited two months, and they were a long two months um, to, to just get on the waiting list. And when we went on the waiting list, they told us it could be 18 months to two years before we heard another call. So to hear Which it... made that loss um, even bigger almost, to know that like it was so close within our grasp. We had already waited um, 10 years to be parents, and um, then to be told again, you know, it's going to be another probably 18 months to two years um, before we would hear anything else. So... Um, we went on the waiting list in March of 2018 and we received a call May 21st of 2018 that um, there was a, a, a girl in um, Carter Springs that wanted us to adopt her baby and uh, wanted us to come down and meet with her. We had dinner with her and I walked away feeling much more confident when she said that she wanted to make an adoption plan with us. It's, it's crazy looking back at it now because you say I feel like looking at the birth mom, she fits in in Amanda's family. She could have been her cousin. Mm -hmm. Our son Noah was meant to be our son. Mm -hmm. We named him Noah because God told Noah there'd be a rainbow after every storm, and he was our 
rainbow after the storm. It's a perfect end to our journey with adoption um, and to being parents finally that, you know, our son is, <laughs> there's no doubt that he was meant to be ours um, from anyone that meets him. Our son Noel was born in June of 2018 and he has never spent a night away from us. We were there the day he was born, two hours after he was born and um, slept with him in, a, in our own room in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And he has never not known us as mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Well, and we have a, a very um, open relationship with our birth mom. And so um, we send her pictures and we talk to her and we let her know what's going on in his life. And um, she gets to see him, you know, grow along with us. And um, I don't think that would have happened um, had this the situation been different. So. Mm -hmm. um, our birth mom is is part of our family. It's been amazing to see, you know, we were in that, that I, I always used to say it, Pastor Ryan had done a, a series on, you know, the, the time of waiting when you're in the drought and, you know, and we got to reap the rewards of our, our, our constant prayer and the prayers of everyone around us um, and celebrate. And now we are looking forward to moving forward with adoption number two in the near future. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that story because it shows how one couple moved in faith when they didn't have all of the answers. And I know you can move in faith as well when you don't have all the answers. So what do we do when the breakthrough breaks down? We stay in faith and we, number three, stay in touch. Stay in touch. Touch has a huge part, uh, a huge role to play in this story. Look with me again in verse 32. When Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying on his bed. And so he went in and he closed the door behind the two of them. And he prayed to the Lord and then he went up and he lay on the boy and put his mouth to mouth and eye to eye and hand to hand. And while he bent over him, the boy's flesh became warm. Elisha got up and he went in the house and he paced back and forth. And then he went up and he bent down over him again. And the boy sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. Did you see the progression there? Uh, in verse 32, Gehazi lays the staff on the boy. That doesn't do anything. In verses uh, 32 and 33, he goes in, closes the door and prays for the boy. Nothing happens. Elisha, out of total desperation, it's like Elisha the prophet is bringing every ounce of spiritual energy that he has, he decides to actually lay on the boy, and he's hand to hand, and he's mouth to mouth, and he's like spread eagle right on the boy. Wow. You know, I'm convinced of this, that if we want to see God raise dead people, that we got to get heart to heart with people. We got to get eye to eye with people. We got to get involved in people's lives, man. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of your highest callings is to help people live a resurrected life. God doesn't want us to live dead lives, but raised lives. And you know, when we have faith in Jesus and faith in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit ignites us and, and we begin to pursue a resurrected life, not a dead life. 
And God doesn't want you to live a life that is spiritually dead. He wants you to be raised. He wants you to be resurrected. He wants you to be made new. And when we get heart to heart with people, we get honest with people, we begin to share with people, people's lives will be raised. It's an awesome thing. When the breakthrough breaks down, be patient. Elisha starts by sending his servant Gehazi, lay the staff on the boy. That doesn't work. He gets there. He prays, Lord, raise him. That doesn't work. Elisha lays on top of him. Lord, do something. And then it's only after that that the boy begins to be warm and Elisha gets off of him and he continues to pray. You know, the greatest miracles in your life may not happen instantly. The greatest release of the power of God in your own existence may not happen the very first time that you ask God for his intervention. But if you will persistently seek after God, if you will pursue him, if you will pursue those, those needs and desires, many times God will do great, 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 great things in our own lives. It kind of reminds me, though, this story of Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises an, a boy uh, from the dead. He's, he's uh, in a coffin and they're, they're carrying him to, to be buried. And Jesus sees the widowed mom and uh, she, he sees her tears and her struggle and he realizes she doesn't have any other children. And she's a widow and she needs somebody to take care of her. Jesus has compassion on people. Why did Jesus do so many miracles? Many times it was just because he had compassion upon people. And so he feels bad. He's like, I got to help this single mom, this widow. What can I do to help? He touches the coffin and the boy's raised. Not beautiful. There's just something so magnificent about the touch of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he was touching people. People's lives were, were raised. Jesus was not afraid to touch people whose skin was littered with leprosy. Jesus was not afraid to wash the disciples' dirty, filthy feet. The touch of Jesus. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, at one point it says everybody who came and touched Jesus was healed. Can you just imagine that? Mark chapter 5, a woman who had been bleeding for many years came and touched the hem of his garment and was healed. There's something powerful about touch. And Jesus wants to reach out and to touch you. You know, the question is when you read this passage in, about Elisha and the boy, you have to wonder... Well, why did he lay on top of the boy? That's a great question, isn't it? I mean, it sounds kind of odd. And, and uh, obviously, you know, the Bible was written many, many years ago and cultures were different and all that. But still, it's still odd. But somebody who was really smart said it like this. Elisha covered the boy palm to palm, eye to eye, that when God looked down from heaven, the dead boy would be covered by the living man. He filled the exact same space as the boy. He took his place. And see what Elisha did physically, Jesus has done spiritually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He who knew no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus covered us. We can live a resurrected life 
We can live a new life. We can live a dynamic life because we've been covered by Christ in faith. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see it? We can have a spiritual resurrection. And when God looks down from heaven, he sees that we are hidden in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. A few weeks ago, I got the word that one of my middle school buddies had died of the COVID-19 disease. And I saw it on Facebook and I wrote a kind of a paragraph, you know, about our friendship. And this guy was like one of my best buddies, like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, kind of in that range. And uh, man, I was so sad to hear about that. And it reminded me, we used to play in a rock band together. See, before God called me to preach, I was a rocker. And I used to be the lead singer of our band. We had a band called The Breeze, and I used to play electric guitar. And, and my friend Wade and I would travel around in our band, and we would play and all that. Everybody else in the band was a great musician, um, except me. And uh, I wrote in my friend's memoir that um, I brought a lot of energy to the stage. I love to sing. Um, I love music, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gifted. In fact, you know what? Not too long ago, I was trying to get Jesus, I was trying to get Gina to allow me to be in the band here at the church. And I said, I want to be in the band. And she said, well, you have to audition. And I was like, all right, well, what do you want me to sing? And she had me sing a song. And when I finished, she said, Ryan, that was, that was terrible. You know, and I was like, I'll sing backup. You know, I'll get my lip pierced. I'll get a sleeve tattoo. I've already got the skinny jeans. I mean, what do I need to do to be in the band? But that plan was kibosh. She said, Ryan, you need to stick with the preaching. So I kind of went back and began to kind of think about my musical career a little bit. I've been thinking about that as a middle school student in the breeze, missing my friend. But you know what? When I was thinking about my friend, I began to kind of get fearful I mean, death is something that nobody wants to think about. It's a reality, though. But you know what? Here's the great comfort that every follower of Jesus has. That one day, the dead in Christ will be raised. We'll be resurrected. And if you know the Lord, you don't have to be afraid of death. Because at the end of time, You'll be raised with Christ, and you will live forever. You'll live forever. And when we see these resurrection miracles outlined for us in the Bible, they point to a greater resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that God wants us to have at the end of time. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. When the breakthrough breaks down, we got three things we got to do. Stay in pursuit, run after God, stay in faith, keep believing even when you don't have all the answers, and stay in touch. Let Jesus reach out and touch your heart and touch your life. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? I want to pray for you. If you would say, Pastor, I'm discouraged today. The breakthrough has broken down. Pray for me. Pastor Ryan, pray for me right now. Would you reach out your hand in faith? And I want to pray for you today. Lord God, you see these hands that are raised and surrendered to you. Would you touch the hearts and the lives of, of every person that is discouraged and disillusioned and, 
and, and confused about what you're doing in their life, Lord, I pray today you would give them the calm assurance and the certainty that, God, that you're with them and that you are absolutely not finished with your work in their lives today. Lord, would you bless us and lead us today? Help us to stay in faith and to stay in touch with you. And while our heads are bowed for a moment longer, others of us may not have ever met this great God. He sent his son Jesus to die, to be raised again on the third day, and he did so because he loved you. And the scriptures tell us that all that will call on his name will be made new. Would you do that today? Would you call on the name of the Lord? Would you ask Christ to come into your heart and into your life? Would you ask Christ to raise you from the dead, to make you new? Would you do it? I want to pray with you right now. Would you just lift your hand today, reach out in faith, and just say, man, today I want to ask Christ to come into my life. I want to be resurrected. Pray this prayer in your own heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, forgive my sins. Make me a new person as I'm putting my faith in Jesus and what he did at the cross and resurrection. And now, Lord, help me to walk with you each day. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if you just prayed with me, I want you to put in the chat right there on your screen on Facebook. I prayed with Pastor Ryan today, asking Christ into my heart. We want to celebrate with you. God bless you in your pursuit of living the resurrected life.